Orissa has the historical evidence of dance which even existed around the second century BCE. Folk and classical are totally different. That's another whole story. There is a very deep universal spiritual quality about the Indian arts. The journey of an Indian dancer is very difficult. The following is a conversation with Shagun Bhutani. She is an extremely accomplished and eminent exponent of Odissi and Chow dance. Enjoy the conversation and subscribe now. Shagunji, welcome to the podcast. It's a great honor that you uh, chose to come here. Uh, uh, you are a classical dancer, Odissi classical dance, also Chow. Uh, I am a huge aficionado, a huge fan of Indian culture, Indian music. I am more of a music guy. I don't know that much about dance. And I'm sure that these days the audience, the, the young people of India are also not, not that exposed to dance. So that's what I would like to talk about. I would like to learn from you about uh, your art forms, the ones that you practice and also about your life, uh, the experiences you've, you've had. So, so let's begin by, could you give a brief introduction for the layperson to, to let's begin with, with Odyssey. I think it's one of the most graceful uh, dance forms in classical dance forms, forms in India. Uh, these days, the exposure is more on Bharatanatyam and on Kathak. I think Odissi is the most graceful from my perspective. And also, it's not because I was born in Odisha, but it actually is. So, could you please give a, give a layperson's introduction to what Odisha is? So, I mean, of, of course, the name, as we know, it suggests that it's native to Odisha. Yes. And um, it is uh, actually the form that we see today is as recent as 1950s. I see. But of course, Orissa has uh, the historical evidence of dance which even existed around the second century BCE. If you seen the in the Odegiri, the Khandagiri caves, you have that sculptural evidence. Uh, but uh, of course, it's not the same dance that we are doing today. But I think by and large, uh, Indian dance in its traditional forms has the same sensibility. Mm -hmm. So if I was to go and stand near a sculpture and imitate the pose, I would look like that. So we have a connect to more than 2000 years old in Odessa. I'm talking about specifically about Odessa. And uh, you're right, it is one of the most lyrical for me and uh, sculpturesque uh, forms of dance. And it is one of the dances which most closely embraces sculpture in its movement sensibilities. Uh, so the dance form in the 1950s, uh, sort of at, at that time, a uh, lot of gurus, uh, Gotipua is a dance tradition, which is uh, which uh, which is uh, again native to Odisha, and it's done by small boys. Goti means single, and Pua means a boy, hmm. and it's a tradition where uh, these boys are given to a akhara. Uh, in in uh, if in Chau and Odissi traditions, these places are called akharas, and they live with a guru, and they uh, these pre-puberty boys, they dress as girls and uh, they dance. Uh, I mean, a form of their part of their dance is acrobatic. And uh, the devotional part is again, of course, devotion to Krishna. And it is uh, to the Jagannath, uh, you know, uh, prescribes to the Jagannath worship. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so what these gurus did a lot of them were gotipuas themselves so the technique of odissi the movement technique of odissi was taken partly from these gotipuas and partly from the mahadi tradition which were the temple dancers i see hmm. so they they did dance in uh, i mean it was not a very uh, uh, movement wise it was not a very evolved form of dancing but they did the abhinaya and uh, they uh, sort of uh, sang dance to the geet govind for for the deity so what the gurus did they took elements from the gotipua from the maharis and uh, from the many many sculptural poses on the temple walls of odisha and uh, they sort of created a movement vocabulary uh and a repertoire a basic repertoire of items for for uh, you know for somebody to perform so because you need to have a repertoire you need to have a margam as they say in, in the bharatnatyam uh, you know jagan they say the margam mm-hmm. so when you dance on stage you need to have you know a certain pattern of items or compositions that you do so they first created uh, the movement vocabulary and then they created these compositions of course they took uh, the you know the existing literature because odisha has a very uh, rich um, uh, culture of literature you know i mean it's not very known and geet govind geet govind the sanskrit but mm-hmm. the odia lit- the odia poetry is uh, and literature is very very evolved i see i mean i am i am not odia myself and i don't know how to read the language but i have heard you know and you 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 hear scholars and uh, sort of people who know it uh, speaking about the many layers and depths of this you know the literature uh, that is from odisha and so they they use some of those uh, poems and poets and they created items on that so basically in i think in 1954 there was this dance competition in in delhi uh for classical dancers so they wanted to put up a dancer in that competition and then have orissi to be recognized as one of the forms so there was a dancer by the name of uh, priyamvada mohanty and uh, she uh, was uh, chosen and she came and performed and then it was you know recognized that there is a form uh you know that this form is um is uh, sort of deep enough and uh, connected to the you know to the legacy of dance to be called a classical tradition i see and for me i don't like using the word classical why is that because i feel it it's it's something which you know which uh, because india is very different mm-hmm. and like for instance chau is uh, something which is you know it's like it's not folk but it is danced by the people hmm. so it makes it folk but if you learn the movement it is a very evolved movement form hmm. so you can't call chau classical but they do you know they will they will want it to be recognized as classical but for me it is trying to conform to something that you are not i see and it's for me it's a very western concept hmm. So, for instance, in classical music, we have the thatha system, 
Bhatkande created the thoughts. The various uh, ragas are classified under a parent thought. Mm. Is this the, a similar kind of thing that's happened in classical dance? We have classified a few as classical dances. The rest is folk dances. No, it's not. It's not that organized in dance. You know, music is a more organized yeah. field. Um, Indian dance is not. I mean, folk is totally different. Um, and what we call the classicals are totally different because folk is of the people, so mm. which is danced by the people. Therefore, Chau walks this middle line mm. because it is a community thing. But, you know, it's been evolved enough to be a theatre, to, to be a theatre art. It can be a theatre art. So, uh, folk and classical are totally different. That's another whole story. Mm. Uh, but I feel that, like, we don't need to make things classical. Folk is different. I mean, the whole sensibility is different. It it sort of aspires to a different level of human existence. It sort of connects us to our daily mundane life, mm. you know, our journey on the planet, as it were. Mm -hmm. And classical or these evolved forms, which are based on the Natya Shastra, yes. are more, uh, you know, for the higher aspirations of the human, like a more spiritual mm. Uh, quest. So, is classical dance about devotion? Is it about is 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 Odyssey about devotion? I, I get the feeling that the, it comes from the Mahari tradition, like you said, which is temple dances. So, is performing on stage? I mean, has it historically been a, an act of devotion? Yes, it is because you see everything is connected uh, to temple to a temple in some way. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the Indian gods in, in many ways because what we dance on all the, you know, the literary content is basically Puranic. Yes. I mean, we, are, we do things which are based on stories from the Puran and on devotional uh, songs and uh, so which are, so it is in a sense, um, well, if you want to call it, it is connected to the religion. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there is a very deep, universal, spiritual quality about the Indian arts. Mm -hmm. So, which, uh, you know, which, uh, which sort of take it beyond that confines of being, uh, you know, just prescribing to a particular religion. So, if I dance uh, and I do something on Krishna or I do something on Shiva, uh, the energy that with which I dance should transcend the form and go beyond, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and sort of bring the audience or a spectator into that universal feel. Right, right. So you spoke about the fact that uh, in the 1950s, Odyssey was kind of created out of existing traditions. Yes. So could you go a little bit deeper into that? What is the Mahari tradition, for instance? I've heard of the Mahari tradition, the temple dances. That is one... Uh, uh, one uh, place of origin from which Odyssey came, the other was, like you said, the sculptures and carvings on temple. And the Gotipua. And the Gotipua. Yeah. Could you please explain a bit more about this? So the Gotipua, as I told you, are these prepubescent boys who dress up as girls and they dance. And it's, you know, it's connected to the uh, to the bhakti traditions. You uh -huh. see the Sakhi Bhav, where, uh, where the devotee becomes the feminine mm -hmm. and worships the god as you know, supposed to be the masculine. So that's why you dress up as a woman. Uh, it's called the Sakhi Bhav. So that, uh, so the Gotipuas, uh, they do uh, dance to songs and uh, the movements are very, um, 
uh, are, if you if you see Gotipua and Odyssey, mm. you'll see that the the root of the movement, you know, is similar, but they have a very folkish feel. Okay. You know, like a kirtan, you know, that kind of a feel. Mm. Um, and but they also have this bandhan ritya, which is very acrobatic, uh, f- uh, you know, piece of dance. Mm-hmm. So uh, so Odyssey takes a lot from there. Mm. Uh, movement-wise, then the Maharis were temple dancers. They were dedicated to Lord Jagannath. Mm. And through the day, the routine of the temple, there were times uh, where they had to perform mm. for for the deity, for him, okay. you know, as it were. And they danced, uh, often sitting, you know, enacting pieces from the Gita Govind. And... Uh, uh, they uh, some movement, uh, so that sort of gave the you know dance the classical dance as you called it is basically the pure dance and the emotive you know the nritya and the nritya. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the nritya element in Odissi was taken a lot from there, and also uh, like gurus like Guru Pankacharandas uh, were grew up in a Mahari. Household. So you see, so his style had a lot of that Mahari dance essence. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Kelu Charanji was the other, you know, one of, there were four, I think there were four I can name. So there was Kelu Charan Mahapatra, there was Guru Pankacharandas, there was Guru uh, Mayadhar Raut and Guru Deprasad Das. So they were the four dance brains. Guru Pankacharandas was the senior most. Hmm. And uh, so they all got together and they sort of, you know, with musicians, they they sort of, the artist of Odisha, you know, the uh, they really toiled to create this, uh, this uh, art form. Hmm. And if you see the, the, the compositions that were done with all of them together, you know, they have a different energy because there were so many creative minds put into creating those pieces. Mm. I have seen uh, a couple of uh, dances on, on, on television. I think it was on YouTube by Kiluchiran Mahapatra. Incredible. I mean, the grace. Yeah. I mean, he. I think it was, it was depicting uh, either Radha or yeah, a Sakhi. Yeah, he used to do a lot from the Geet Govind. Mm. And the, the magical thing, what I was telling you, that you, know, you have to transcend the indeed. form. Yes. That you forget that he's a man yes indeed you indeed. see so that is the power that uh, uh, a good dance performance should have hmm. so these traditions that we have the uh, the mahari tradition and the the prepubescent boys that they dance how old are these traditions do we know how when they originated see the mahari tradition is connected to the jagannath okay so hmm. so that was i think uh, should have been the 13th century onwards and the Gotipua, I I don't know, but it is a uh, again it is actually what they're doing. They're dancing to the Vaishnav because they are. So I think they probably came in with the advent of Vaishnavism in that. I see. Because I think originally Odisha was uh, like the Ud- Udaygiri and the Khandagiri caves. There is Jain. It's about the king Kharavel, the Jain yes. king. Yes. So I guess all these traditions came in with the advent of uh, uh, Vaishnavism. 
and also in Odisha, there's a very, there was the Tantric, the Shakta Tantra, you know, you have, uh, so there was a lot of that. And also uh, the movement form of Odissi mm. has uh, a lot from the Tantra. Tantra, yes. I see. You see, for me, even the chalk is that, the basic pose of Odissi, where you sit, you know, it's a very, the geometrical pose. Mm -hmm. Where your hands are like that, and that's how Jagannathji's arms are also. I see. And uh, it's a plie, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a broad plie when you're turned out in the plie, legs. Plie, yeah. the French term, okay. Yeah, mm. when you're turned out in the legs, and mm. there's a, you know, there's a certain amount of distance between the feet. So mm. it's a very square, grounded uh, position, mm. and. For most people, they say it's the masculine for Odyssey, but for me, it is very Shakti. I see. You I see, see that that sitting in the chalk, it's a very uh, feminine, strongly feminine mm. uh, posture. Mm. So there is a lot of uh, the Tantra uh, influence in subtle ways. You I know, see. Then the way that you move sometimes, the patterns that you draw, mm. you know, while you move, the space that you you know, squares and all the geometrical diagrams which you draw, <laughs> you know, in your movement. Uh, so there are all these influences in Odyssey. When you taught Odyssey, are you taught diagrams or how do they teach it? What's your journey like? What's been your journey see, like? See, the, the thing is that in India, you're taught, you have to learn by observing your guru. Mm -hmm. You're not taught in the way you're taught. See, because see, I... Uh, started with, uh, I went to um, boarding in Vellums in Dehradun. Okay. So, of course, dance was there, all forms of dance, but not as a, you know, serious. It was a part-time activity. So, mm -hmm. I did, we had a couple of good Bharatanatyam teachers. We had a very good folk te dance teacher. So, danced everything. Then when I came to Delhi, I focused on Odyssey. Okay. Uh, and... Um, and I liked it because of this lyrical quality, you know. My body had that naturally. So when I did Bharatanatyam, maybe it would have been too uh, sort of imbued with that <laughs> lyrical uh, quality. So I liked Odyssey in the way, you know, you move. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did it for many years. And then I got a little... You see, the... Um, the journey of an Indian dancer is very difficult. Okay. Unless, of course, you're born in a family in which, uh, you know, the you're born in a family of dancers, then things, there's already a path for you. Hmm. But if you just want to be a dancer, it's, it's a very difficult, disorganized, uh, uh, you know, there are no sort of, uh, there are no, points that you know will which will guide you okay this is the way you have to go mm -hmm. so you of course start learning from a guru and my first guru was a very special person by the name of aloka panikar she was uh, she is uh, um, i mean um, she lived in bhartiya kalakendra shriram bhartiya kalakendra which is in mandi house it was one of the good institutions for dance and music so she taught there so she was my first guru and then I stayed and learned with her for many years. Mm -hmm. And then I got a little, you see, it becomes a little suffocating because you're bound by many things. Okay. And the, and you're not getting too much, you know, it's not that you can just, uh, you know, get famous, you can start earning money, you, you know, there, are no, there are no agents, there's nothing like that. You know? I see. So you just sort of 
plow your way through and you learn and you spend a lot of time with gurus. Mm. Of course, all that has changed now in this age, but that's how it was. Mm. And uh, so I learned and then I got a little uh, sort of, I felt a little suffocated and I wanted to... Uh, uh, you know, also the contemporary was coming in and, mm. you know, one was thinking what is contemporary, you know, more freedom mm. in a way. I mean, so I went, I got admissions into Columbia to do an MFA, which was a master in New York. Okay. But I went there, but I didn't get a, uh, like a, a, a scholarship to study. Mm. So I didn't want to take a loan and end up, you know, being tied. Yeah. Uh, and to live there. So I went and spent two years, two, three years in New York. And I studied contemporary with, uh, again, I got very wonderful teachers there. There was a lady by the name of Mary Anthony, who was 83 when I went. I see. <laughs> and she was, uh, you know, uh, so she, and my time there was actually everything pointed back to the Indian way of dance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, she really made me relook at, you know, at what my own tradition of dance was and, you know, what, I mean, you know, that the precious things in that. And, and I studied the Graham technique. I did all that there. And, but of course, I, I don't think I was a very good contemporary dancer. I was very sort of Indian in my way of movement. And, uh, but then I came back. And uh, uh, and then I went to Guru Ganga Dhar Pradhan in Bhuvaneshwar, mm -hmm. who really with just one movement awakened the whole sensibility of Odissi, you know, of how the movement should be. And um, in um, India, you're taught very differently. You just observe. You're not, but in the West, you're taught, they know the names of each muscle that you have to turn, that you have to do this, that you have to do that, you mm -hmm. know, it's a very technical way of teaching. Here you just look at your guru and he'll just say, sit like that, you know, mm. and dance. I mean, nobody's telling you that you turn out from the thigh, mm. you know, you they hit your feet to <laughs> open. So, so that's the difference. But I think in the end, I feel it's a more um, organic way of learning. Mm. You know, when you keep looking at somebody and you try to imitate that, and soon that sort of gets rooted in you and you do and you do get the right way of movement. Mm. You know, and you don't have all this looking at the mirror, you know, all the time in the West. Because like I remember Mary thing, yeah. used to keep, there were all these beautiful, you know, dancers who used to do these uh, movements across. But every time they were just looking at the mirror. Mm. You know, I was trained because you, you, we are trained to open the inner eye. And correct yourself. So I don't need a mirror to know if my body is, you know, some part of my body is not in the correct position. Mm. So there's a lot of difference in the way you're taught in the West. And But I think now more and more in India, those Western ways of teaching are coming in. Like you have mirrors. I see. In, in dance classes. Oh, okay. uh, so things like that. But um, at that time, I think those... For me, now that I'm older and I look at the way you're taught, I feel it's a more rigorous way and it makes you strong. So, so how long does it take for a person to go from a student to an actual performer? It's very, I think it's very individual. Okay. 
because it's your own journey mm-hmm. and uh, but i think practice is important if you put in a lot of practice then that time is short mm-hmm. if you don't then that's long because it just comes with time you know and with practice so mm-hmm. the more you practice the faster you get there but i think basically not uh, to become a first level performer i think at least 8 9 years wow <laughs> yeah. okay yeah and is that like full day every day practice or is it uh, should be every day i see should be every day can people afford to do that these days like practice and now it's changed that's what mm. i'm saying now it's totally different you know mm. the younger people are very um, you know they give a lot but they want fast yes and right. i feel that things like any art takes its own time yes uh, to blossom inside you you know mm. you cannot hurry up that process right so these days people want results and they they want yeah, it fast yeah they want you know you need to earn yes yes like we lived i mean we i don't think i ever cared what i'm earning or you know what i'm not you just carry on daily practice and then you get chances and but you see now the times have changed mm-hmm. and also there are more platforms i think people are doing things for instagram for instance yes short form content that's that's the thing and they're only creating for that yes so uh, so all those things are changing you know then you can you can suddenly become famous on that you know if people like what you're doing yes but i think that is um, that will eventually uh like for instance indian dance is basically a solo format hmm. and um, if you uh people can't sit through a solo program these days i mean if you go and dance one hour solo it's it's very difficult to hold the audience hmm. you see so that all is getting that fabric is getting destroyed but i feel of course this instant and this short things are very good because they draw in people to what you're doing mm. but i think somewhere that uh, formidable form of the solo format should be sustained and preserved mm. so who would do that how do we sustain and preserve that see first you have to have a market for it yes but also i feel that well dancers and even musicians for that matter need to hold on to that integrity mm-hmm. uh you see they i mean it's very easy to say okay i'll you know just get a group of 10 people you know then you'll get a performance you know everybody wants a group performance so if you're a solo artist it's very difficult to tell somebody i'll do a solo mm yes true so it if the government is sort of organizing festivals they should make sure that there is provision for doing a solo mm. you know everybody says okay ab group leke aa ja mm. but i don't have a group for instance if i don't have a group i don't want to cobble up dancers and just you know but that's the way it's become i've been associated with the national museum for like the last uh-huh. 10 year 10 12 years where is I this mean, national museum here in janpat okay mm. and i mean i started off as a, you know they advertise for a program of training voluntary guides you know voluntary they wanted guides. they wanted like people to uh, train them to guide you know visitors to the museum museum visitors okay mm-hmm. so they trained us very well they you know we had all these scholars this mm-hmm. thing and then so i mean that started my uh, journey into the museum okay. but 
it has taken me onto a totally different path you know because when you see these uh, when you spend time in the museum and you see the roots of indian art yes you feel everything is so connected it is. like like where's my dance coming from like i'm telling these sculptural panels that you see and uh, everything is so connected and you know it's it's you feel that you're so nourished in a way and that uh, and that our arts us have such deep roots hmm. that they can't be shaken ever you know? i hope so i certainly hope so i mean there are ways of shaking things up mm. that's the unfortunate thing about uh, studying history that you see how things uh, get eradicated mm. i mean yeah. civilizations have come and gone cultures gone. have disappeared yeah. it it happens i think we need to be very careful not to become too complacent that we have been around for 10000 years so we'll be around for yeah. 10000 more no and then you actually and in the museum you see the existence of that basically yes, you, you know do. so that is what fascinates me about a museum because whatever you don't know existed you go there and you see that oh this existed yes you see so that i mean i was very bad in history when i was in school as you find it the most boring but once i went into the museum it's so it's such a beautiful way to learn history you know you just through the arts and um, that's what it's just i mean it just changed the way i think of dance also mm. you know because it's just everything is connected in a way everything's connected i mean literature dance music mm-hmm. culture folk traditions i think everything is connected yeah. and i'm sure dance also manifests all these traditions doesn't it our our folk traditions our ancient traditions everything is connected so uh, if you talk about a classical dance tradition from a certain area it will have similarities to the folk traditions hmm. of that area hmm. and uh, i think there is <clears throat> this text called the vishnu dharmottara it's okay. the it's the it's the culminating part of the vishnu puran i think it was written from somewhere around the 7th century ce mm-hmm. and that talks about the interconnectedness of arts matlab it has chapters on everything on instructions on dance music culinary arts mm-hmm. painting iconography you know the pratima lakshan so that itself talks about the interconnectedness of arts in the indian context i see so iconography we have texts about all these things and we're not taught any of this in history in mm-hmm. in our history classes i think you have to think all the pratima lakshan which pratima is pratima lakshan which is what a, if you're making an idol of a particular god then mm-hmm. what are the things that you need to have mm-hmm. so you have texts basically in india you have texts or the shastras for everything they're just instructions so how much do, do the shastras uh manifest themselves in in odissi for instance i mean i i know that it's mainly based on the natya shastra what was the natya shastra how old is that see the natya shastra is about i think it was compiled between any time between 2nd century bce hmm. to 2nd century ce okay and uh, it is supposed to be have written by somebody called sage bharata mm-hmm. but it can also be a compilation of work of many people because it was written over or compiled over a period of time and the beauty is that there should it it i mean it doesn't mean that when the natya shastra was written that form of theater because basically it was about theater mm-hmm. natya's theater 
and dance and music were integral to theater they were a part of theater so um it's um it's not that when he, when it was written at that time that form emerged so obviously they were writing about something that was already existing yes so that is the beauty of it and the, basically the natya shastra is a set is like a manual hmm. for actors uh on how you should do or emote or whatever and at the base at the source of it is the theory of the navarasa the no. rasa theory oh. and what is rasa so rasa like if you talk in the normal language is the juice of something yes rasa, rasa means juice, juice yes but the rasa is basically it's not emotions it is immersive sentient states when i it also deals basically it deals with the uh, uh, the role emotions play when you participate in the ritual of art so for instance if there's a play which is very beautifully produced it has good actors it has good sets it has good music but if i as a spectator am not in uh, at the level of uh, uh, at an emotional level of reacting to that uh, it fails hmm. you know what they do the actors are doing it fails because it has not drawn me as a spectator into uh you know the essence of what they were doing so it is basically the rasa theory is the first theory on aesthetics first noting on aesthetics in the world i see so basically what the the actor or the performer has to do has to uh, be so good that you draw yourself as a as a as a performer and the spectator into that state of meditative bliss through your through your art so uh so if and if you don't do that then you're not a good enough artist so hmm. basically that was the core of the natya shastra the rasa theory hmm. and the training everything else is a training for an actor to achieve that level of performing so it's a training manual it's very deep so mm. you have movement for the hands hastas you have feet positions you have jumps you have ways of walking your ways of looking so minutest detail on how to evoke the rasa i see and later on uh it was more uh, this rasa theory became more relevant not relevant it got the natya shastra the commentaries on the natya shastra were more pertaining to literature hmm. you know how how to evoke the rasa in literature i see so that got uh, sort of very uh, evolved in a sense but the rasa theory for dance and theater got sort of left behind because you know nobody wrote about it so much hmm. but that is the natya shastra so it just trains an artist in detail and the end aim is to be able to evoke the rasa so i've heard about the rasas from music for instance certain ragas are in the shringar rasa ha. for instance so could you give some examples of rasas i mean a few so that so the first is the shringar shringar which is supposed to be the king of rasas okay. and it's well it's anything beautiful okay so 
anything any beauty in creation is shringar okay and of course in poetry and dance and it's more it's exemplified through love okay you know hmm. uh, so shringar is one then is karuna karuna passion hmm. which is compassion hmm. uh then is hasya the comic uh veer the hmm. heroic hmm. then raudra anger okay uh adbhuta which is wonder wonder uh vibhatsa which is disgust okay and the last is shanta Shant. so everything flows into that hmm. but see when i say that i'm talking about shringar rasa that is the sthai you know that is the dominant mood okay mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that if i'm talk if i'm portraying something of shringar the other elements will not come in mm. so it will be layered with subtlety with 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 anger with mm. uh, you know with uh, with sadness so for instance when you talk about uh, like the lovers uh there is a time when they are together and everything is beautiful but there are many times when they are you know uh, sort of there's conflict there's jealousy there's anger so all those are the sanchari bhavas those are the bhavas the moods hmm. it's not the rasa bhavas within rasa is squeezed in ah. including the level of the performer and the emotive state of the spectator hmm. with all these elements the rasa emerges so it's very beautiful and it's very textured and it is infinite it's infinite yeah. just like music so this you just is... immerse in it and that's what you're supposed to be do right right so i've heard of these terms like khandita and all that and those are naikas naikas the in... naikas are the heroines the heroines <laughs> and it's all to do with lord krishna right or is it not no it's not okay i mean there's lot of poetry which is secular which okay. is not about radha and krishna but just any two lovers i see okay so the naika is a heroine the naika is a heroine okay so her different states of you know khandita is the one who's angry hmm abhisarika is the one who's going to meet her lover okay so you know things like that so there are many layers hmm and layers and layers that create a piece of dance or you know even a bandish in your in the music so this is something that's common to all the dancers yeah. let's say the all the classical dancers yes i see even kathak even bharatnatyam yes Kuchipuri. everything i think the ru- the basic thing that the differences are the regional difference hmm. you know the way you dress the hmm. the movement of course is very different uh and uh, the literature that you use hmm. there's some sanskrit literature which is common yes then there's the vernaculars hmm. so there's tamil there is odia poetry hmm. you see that differs hmm. but hastas hand gestures the basic sensibility of the body you know of the uh, the the samabhang and the abhang you know the deflection mm-hmm. those things are some things are common but there is a regional difference which which you see mm-hmm. so this kind of suggests a common origin to all of this which means we have just one culture overall we do yeah we do mm. so what are the themes when it comes to odissi what is it that differentiates odissi from let's say kathak or or kuchipudi what is it that makes odissi St- make it makes it stand apart it's the difference in the movement of course uh 
you see and it's not only odissi but when you start going towards the east mm-hmm. and even in chau i see that mm. uh, because uh, it has a there is a certain way of moving the body mm. and you you can even see that grace in in the people there <laughs> okay you know, so for me so i was in uh, delhi for many years when i started learning odissi and then i went to bhuvaneshwar to learn the pakhavaj okay. this was in the 90s mm. so i i had already been learning odissi for like 7 8 years and then i went to odissa for the first time and i went and stayed in my guru's house which was in bhuvaneshwar but it was like a it was a very sort of a you know like a rural kind of a household mm. you know they were sitting on the floor and all that so i saw you know the day i was there i saw first the day i reached so i reached then the morning by train and i went to sleep and i woke up and there was um, there was thunder mm-hmm. and uh, guruji was taking a class of the pakhavaj so there were like six seven pakhavajs playing together mm-hmm. and for me it was the most meditative experience because that sound of the pakhavaj was merging with that thunder so you realize that oh you see this is the sound you know i mean these are what these instruments are imitating they are imitating sounds of nature hmm. so that was it then the next morning when i woke up i saw one of the women of the house and she was sitting uh, just doing up you know combing her hair and the posture that she was sitting you know the hair was like that and it actually reminded me of you know the pose i of odissi hmm. so i realized that the grace of odissi is coming from the people from the people themselves the people have that grace i see and also in the east there's this movement of the you know the torso so so the people of odissa they they are the ones who made the art form yeah, so graceful yeah so you see the connection what i'm trying to say is that you see the connect hmm. of the art hmm. form to the life and to the people hmm. and to i mean people who amongst whom it was nurtured mm. so uh, so you know you see that alive connection so odissi is not just a form that's coming from odisha there is a certain way of moving you know it's just not a dance form it is a dance it's a movement or it's a tradition that has evolved from the people so it sprung out of the soil of odisha it's yeah. not something somebody artificially constructed it's not and you know these things are like my chau guru hmm. i remember it was somebody by the name of guru lingaraj acharya he was uh, i mean i i learned from him and then i learned from his son so they were like fourth fifth generation chau dancers and uh, uh, guru shashadhar acharya who's his son and who's my current i mean the guru that i <clears throat> learned from he lives in delhi hmm. Yeah, uh, so uh, you know Helena Charya, no? Yes, I've heard of her. So anyway, so she, uh, so he lives here, and Guruji was here from Saraikela, and he was uh, sick with cancer. Okay. And I remember that just uh, you know he had because he had blood cancer, so he had become really fragile and weak. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to go back to Saraikela. and i remember i still remember that last day that he you know was carried out of uh, bhaiya's home uh, he made the journey and he reached his house he lay on his bed and breathed his last okay wow so you know these kind of things 
they make you realize that there is a connect you know with that soil hmm yes indeed you see we may not know it or we may not feel it but for these people there is that connect and mm. the art somehow connects to that mm. so and and also for me because i am not from odisha i feel that the dancers you know some of the dancers from odisha they have this very typical grace which which is innate in them it's not there in me innate but in them there is because they are from there mm-hmm. you see there is that uh, and so i strongly believe that the art is connected very deeply to the people now you also spoke about chao where is what is the the origin of chao i mean where does it come from so chao a lot of times they say the word means comes from chavni mm-hmm. which is a military uh, area okay and it basically started uh, as uh, you know in, in that whole odisha kalinga region mm-hmm. they they used to have pikers pikers who were the uh, the the peasants the mm-hmm. farmers were all trained to be warriors i see so that was the tradition and then um, when uh, this the chau was of three three regions basically and it's a belt it's not one area so mm-hmm. there's saraikela chau which is from saraikela and jharkhand there's mayurbhanj from uh, baripada in odisha and there's purulia from west bengal so there are three chaus mm-hmm. so basically you know they had the 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 royalties in these areas and uh, when uh, in times of peace these people who were all trained with you know with martial techniques they started sort of doing it and practicing it more as movement interesting and that is how it you know the movement uh, evolved from there hmm. so that is what chau is but sometimes they also say because you wear a mask mm-hmm. in saraikela and purulia and it's chau is also the chaya the okay. shadow of the mask i see so it's a martial dance it's of or, sorts it's the origins the moorings are in, in martial techniques i find this fascinating i've always sensed that there is some kind of connection between the martial arts and dances for instance in brazil there is a there's a martial art called capoeira Hmm. So the the African slaves were transported across the Atlantic Ocean to Southern America, Brazil, hmm. and then they were good at these martial arts. So those martial arts were banned; they were forbidden. Hmm. So what they did was they encoded those movements into a Your dance form. And today the today the martial art is like a dance. Dance, yeah. And and again in in. in western india in saurashtra there is something called the mer ras hmm. in which they dance with swords oh. and it's clearly a sword fighting martial arts that that is lost now but hmm. it, it, that's what's left of it hmm. i think in manipur also in manipuri classical yeah, dance there, there are those thangta and all that every area has a martial because those were the indigenous forms of warfare no how they fought right so all of that in in some sense in some way here or there it's still encoded in certain dance in, forms it is the movement is so what is chau like what what is it about what what's the i mean what are the themes in chau so uh, see i do saraikela mm-hmm. uh, but in all of them of course the themes are uh, also like from the puranic the stories of the gods and demons and you know hmm. they have that but uh, see the that region of chau is also very rich in tribal culture okay so uh, there is a mix of many things you know on the surface you'll see radha krishna mm-hmm. uh, but 
there are again layers of you know the influences the percussion the dhol the nagada hmm. you know those are the instruments that you play which are the mahudi which is like a very that's indigenous reed instrument okay uh so they are uh, and i mean percussion is very important the mm. dhol and you know that is then it's also danced by everybody in the community okay it's not that there are some you know performers on some everybody does chow but mostly males okay it was it was not done it's not done by the females so what brought you into chow then i like the use of masks mm. uh so i wanted to learn it and but when i learned it i realized that it's uh, again very connected to odissi the way that you move mm-hmm. so it doesn't conflict with my uh, odissi mm. and uh, so i started liking the way you know that the technique is very interesting mm. like you have uh, one sect of the technique is uh, these charlies mm. which are the gates of animals and birds okay and it's a very it's a very if you go to at least to sarai kela to these areas they are very rich in nature mm. so they are, the dance form echoes that mm. so there's a whole section of these charlies uh, then there is uh, uflis now what are the uflis the women then dance chow but half of the uflis which are called the female uflis are movements that have been inspired from the daily work that a housewife does okay so you know even things like sweeping uh grinding uh, the rice pitta pitto bata mm-hmm. or you know making the alpana is all shown with the body in chow <laughs> i mean i can't dance it here but uh-huh. it's very interesting mm. and then the third aspect is the khel which is the martial mm. you know the martial technique okay. so these three Uh, create the movement vocabulary mm. and then you do the items so uh, mayurbhanj doesn't use masks but the themes are basically the same you'll have a dance on nataraj uh, you mm. know the charai kela is on shiva radha krishna uh, mayurbhanj and purulia are more uh, you know they do more uh, like uh, abhimanyu vad you know they're more oh. theater pieces i see mayashasur mardini and purulia is very folk mm. it's very different in its movement to uh, sarai kela and mayurbhanj mm. so we have these different different uh, manifestations yeah of and same. it's connected to odisha because if you go to sarai kela it's in jharkhand but the people speak odia i see yeah uh-huh. so all the apparently that king of sarai kela got a lot of people from puri from the puri. artists okay so the culture i mean it's odia but then it's connected it's layered with the existing tribal hmm. you see so the customs will be a mix of everything hmm. so it's a very physically uh, vigorous very very vigorous form? very vigorous and because you wear a mask it becomes even more demanding i see so because the audience can't tell if you what what your gender is so they expect you to see it was men originally it was all men hmm. so so they knew it was men dancing and they would dress up like again like a woman if I they were see. doing and they were dancers who were doing male parts and dancers who were doing female parts okay so they specialized in that oh the specialized they specialized so if you're doing a female part you were not then you were not given a male part mm. then you just went doing so people specialized your, in this yeah mm. you spent your life doing these female parts or so you spent your life doing one character i see so it became like that becomes like that i see so can you for instance do the, do the tandav in chow yeah there is a mm-hmm. so is it a, a specialized form of a tandav or is it the same as the odissi tandav no 
much different because you're moving differently. Hmm. Your music is different. The music is different. The movement is different. The costume is different. And in in Chhau, you dress up like if you're doing a thing on Shiva, you dress up like Shiva. Like in Odissi, I will not dress up. I will do my. I will wear my regular costume. And do the Tandav. And do the dance on Shiva. And the audience can tell that yeah, it's it's still because it's the movement which you're communicating. Which tells me that there is a certain common music, uh, dance vocabulary, movement vocabulary, whether you are in Chhau or whether in Odissi. Or yeah, any other dance. There is, yeah. I'm sure even Kathak can. You can do Tandav and Kathak, Kathak as well. See, there is. If you're doing, if you're doing Shiva, what, hmm. I mean Tandav. I assume you mean Shiva, that Shiva is done. Yeah. yeah. So you will be holding the Dambru. Dambru, yes. You'll be holding the fire. Yeah. You'll be holding the Trishul. So those are common. So in Kathak, I will stand. I won't sit. Hmm. In Odissi, I'll sit in a chok. Hmm. But the see and and then you see a sculpture of Shiva. You will you see the Nataraj is holding the Dambru. He's holding the fire. So it's very distinctive. So that that symbolism is common. How hard is the life of an artist of of a classical dancer today? It's quite hard. In what way? As I told you first, hmm. uh, the whole uh, environment of performing is changed. Hmm. Uh, we are not doing. Uh, you know the solos are being pushed out uh and you know so you see some of some very senior dancers who don't have a group mm. and you know then they'll be, you'll be you know dependent on da- on uh, to hire artists you know mm. who you've never worked with before mm-hmm. so where is all this depth and where is all this uh you know the 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 rasa content all that is kind of becoming irrelevant mm. uh so one is that you know there is there are not so many opportunities okay to perform then the teaching if you're teaching you get a lot of students but then again it's a you know it's not it's like bad. yeah it's like everybody's moving on you know it's this transition and everybody so you the spend you spend years working with somebody and mm. and you know they give it it's not that they don't give it their all but then you know life for them is also difficult yes. you know they they cannot have the luxury of just continually being with with a, with a particular guru or you know so all those are practical things which are impacting the fabric of of what indian dance you know the, these uh, the formal traditions are how was it different in the past how come in the past we had artists who could dedicate their entire lives without having to worry about money i think life was easier mm-hmm. i think the life was easier i think life didn't have so many demands it uh, you know everybody just sort of carried on now you have financial pressures yeah. you mm-hmm. have so i think life has changed and the art is uh, well it should also change and one ha- needs to adapt uh but i i think also in terms of the social media you know and opportunities if you really want to do things there are there are ways but everybody is not adept at doing them mm. so that limits people does art need state patronage i mean in the past we had kings we had royalty who would patronize art we had gharanas yeah. and people who would take who would be taken yeah. care of no worries about their yeah. their finances i think it all went away after the abolition of the royal uh, 
princely states. Yeah. And now we are all dependent, artists are all dependent on the government. On the government. And does the government understand what see, artists? I mean, if you see the schemes of the ministry, they are doing a lot. Okay. I mean, they have pension schemes, they have grants for repertory, for, you know, for various things. Hmm. Uh, but I think the problem in India is that there's so many people. Yes, true. There's so many artists hmm. who are equally deserving. Hmm. So how much can the state uh, support? I think my uh, thing is that it's also very, it's a very disorganized sector. Okay. There hmm. is no... You know, there is no, as I said, there's no method. There is no, you know, in, in, in the West and all, you have agents. So if you're a good performer, you go to an agent. That agent takes you, you know, yes. does all the work that an artist sometimes doesn't want to do. You or know, may like, not be uh, good yeah. at. Yeah. And also, uh, I feel, you see, when you see the West, there are lots of things uh, that... Uh, they they are also they have the pop they have you know or they have all but like for instance the opera or the ballet is still sought after because it's the way they are presented it's the way it's and presented. and that involves a lot of money it does yeah. so we should we can have the corporate supporting you know art so in i think there needs to be a lot of organizing and a rethinking but mm. who is to do that for the arts yes, because there's no money in it mm. you see but if somebody takes it you know forward if corporates who have the funds mm. uh, they sort of devote it to you know traditional arts mm. for instance mm. that can be a way out but then you know that takes a lot of effort it needs to, con you need convincing people. Hmm. I think if we package and present Indian dance forms properly, I think they, they will take the world by storm. Yes. But it's not happening. I mean, how about bringing classical dance, traditional f dance forms into the contemporary world? I mean, can, can, are people doing this? I mean, you know, creating dance compositions about contemporary issues, that sort of thing. I mean, the themes are typically Radha Krishna. But why is Radha Krishna not contemporary? For I, I have nothing against Radha Krishna. But if, if people seek something, for instance, if society has changed, hmm. how do you keep dance? But Radha, you see, the thing is that what people don't see mm -hmm. is that these themes, mm -hmm. uh, what, the, what the traditional arts uh, portray, they don't do the form is Radha and Krishna, but the the emotion is always very human hmm. so that's why for instance if i do radha in a khandita naika hmm. anywhere in the west for instance i've performed it in many places hmm. i i get the same response because it's basically a woman who's angry with her beloved hmm. and that is a human thing yes. you see so the form is like that and and the form is not only because i'm doing radha i'm also dressed up in a I mean, in a strange way. Like, mm. if you see me as a Odyssey dancer with a Westerner's eye. It's very exotic for them. It's very, it's that exotic for them. Yeah. But you see, the challenge is to overcome all those. I am going to be dressed as a Odyssey dancer. Yes. Mm. But how do I overcome it? Mm. You know, and that takes, as I, again, we go back into that universal, you see, thing. Mm. And the, for me, this, the word contemporary is more a sensibility. 
टेम्पररी These are timeless themes, actually. These are timeless, so yes. that's and that's again the beauty of the Puranic tales. Yes. Uh, because they may be, you know, be portrayed in the story of gods in Hindu gods and goddesses, but mm. the the metaphor is universal, mm. and that is what we need to focus on. Right. Now the thing is, today today's people they don't they they don't quite have the connect. with the roots hmm. we are more and more as a society becoming deracinated hmm. and maybe this is one of the reasons why classical uh, dance is no longer that much in the limelight like it would be in the 1980s for be. instance yeah it would be and i don't know at that time there seemed to be uh, you know fewer ways like you were dancing on stage hmm. now you are dancing on stage but there thousand people on instagram who yes. are doing all things you know they are do using all this trending music yes. you see so i mean and people are looking at that mm. they are not going to a theater you know that that culture of going to a theater yes. to watch a performance spending a few hours yes. you know the quality of the performers were also there was a different energy but yes. because they were only doing that you know mm. now there's hundreds of distractions you know freelancing freelancing there's that and the other so uh, so the, i mean i don't know but i am very optimistic mm. about because in my interaction with younger people mm. i do feel that they are very open to learning okay mm. and i mean again this is my experience from being in the museum and interacting with you know just the lay people mm. and how much interest once you explain it to them they are so much in awe and i think the thing is to make that effort to connect it to people in a certain way mm, so right. i'd always try to do that through my work like if i organize a performance mm. or anything it has to have a very human personal connect mm, correct now you said that you have performed abroad many times and they kind of look at Indian costumes and art is exotic. So, how's been the experience of performing abroad and working with foreign uh, artists? You see, the thing is, of course, they find you the costume, and you know they appreciate. I mean, the textiles, you know. They, mm. But I also feel uh, people in the West have the ability to go into the spirit of the art form because they are used to watching. Mm. You know, they are they. they watch performances that culture is still there mm. you know they'll they'll make it a part that they'll spend an evening going to a ballet opera mm. you know it's not that here people can live years without going to watch a yes. performance yes. you see but there that ability to get into the spirit of the art whatever they are watching is there mm. so it it always is very inspiring to perform in the west and uh, like for me one of the best you know there's a uh, a geet govind uh, poem mm. uh, on the abhisarika mm. and um, 
when Radha is, uh, you know, telling her Sakhis to bring Krishna to her and that she is longing to be with him. And one of my best reviews for that was written by a critic uh, for the Village Voice, uh, this lady called Deborah Javit. I mean, she understood that piece so beautifully, you know, and thus was able to write about it. Mm -hmm. So I just feel that that's the difference. And I feel that connect you feel not in the cities in an audience, but if you go and perform in a rural space, you feel the connect, you know, it's easier to connect to. You mean in India? Yeah, in India. Right. In in the rural parts of India, people are still connected to yeah, their traditions yeah, and culture. Yeah, still. It's, yeah, it's in easy the big to, cities, it's not there It's so not much. there. There are too many distractions. They, they're, they're always connected to the internet, aren't they? That's the problem. Yeah. So, so what do we do to bring dance back? I, 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 I mean, I'm not saying it's gone. I'm not saying it's, it's not dying. Not gone at all. It's coming back. But even if you see, uh, like I, I keep thinking that you know the format of the play hmm. of the Natya Shastra, hmm. where the actor is singing, dancing. Later on, the Sanskrit theatre sort of was pushed back, and there were Western ways of you know producing a play. That was retained by things like Nautanki and Jatra, you know, these folk theatres. Okay. Uh -huh. And then Bollywood. Bollywood. What was that? You know, that was also the singing, dancing, acting. It's like a Natya Shastra in a very... But it's still connected. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, so... So, that is what I feel, that the roots are so strong, mm. that it'll never go away. Mm. It'll never shake. Uh, the roots are strong, the emotive human element is very strong. Mm. It's just the effort of connecting people to that. So I like doing that, you know, I mean, if you have a small gathering, and, and I also feel I live in Gurgaon, and it's mm. got a very good population of, you know, these young educated uh, couples who, you know, who, who want to learn. Uh, who want to uh, sort of uh, their kids to learn about these things. So I feel that it's coming back. It's coming back. And even Bollywood, if you see, hmm. uh, if there, you see their dances, you know, slowly you see elements of the classical traditions, you know, being used or, you know, and they have the money. So they, you know, they, they sort of, uh, sometimes I like, you know, that tell, to point it out to people that, see, that is from, yeah, you know, from mm. somewhere. So, I, I, I'm I, still optimistic and I sort of navigate my way by connecting my dance to many things. Hmm. What's the great thing about being a, being a dancer, a performing artist? I think you're continuously inspired mm -hmm. and uh, even though you face difficulties, that inspiration that keeps coming from the art uh, sort of always keeps you alive. Mm. That's the best thing for me. What are some of your greatest experiences? I think that my experiences are more internal. Okay. I mean, the, the bliss that I felt. Mm. Um, and I mean, the connect with the audience are few. Mm. I mean, you know, that, that really euphoric kind of a feeling that you did connect uh, to, to the audience in the way that the rasa was. Mm. I think that's the greatest reward. When you're performing, do you sense the audience? Or are you, are you focused within? I think as you go into a performance, uh, 
the focus becomes within i see um and and for instance like lot of times if i think that did i do that particular movement or i did it but i don't have any recollection of mm. it so i think those are the instants that you are totally absorbed i see and that is the spiritual quality of all art spiritual quality i think art is something that connects that should that connects on a very spiritual level in any part of the world any form of art is that which connects on a spiritual you spoke about tantra earlier that uh, odissi has some some grounding in tantra so what exactly does tantra do and how how is odissi connected to that i mean connecting to a higher realm yeah like the yogic hmm? it's a yogic i mean you know all this is just flowing into that oneness of everything hmm. so dance because see i mean all these things are physical if you take yoga you take the yeah. practices of even tantra hmm. uh, i mean i'm not i don't know too much about tantra i know about yoga because i've been practicing it but i feel that all the physical forms of movement uh sort of took birth on the same place mm. so the quality uh, there is a common quality in in for instance in yoga and dance mm. i mean the path is different mm. but the aim is the same okay so even for instance the ha- hand gestures mm. the mudra the mudra they are mm. the hasta mudra the mudra can be the attitude of the body the okay. whole body can be a mudra okay <clears throat> but the the ones you do with the hand are the hasta mudras okay so for instance if you take this mudra uh, it is uh, hamsasya in okay. dance mm-hmm. and when i use it in dance i can use it to you know like to if i'm speaking or to so, show something beautiful uh but if you see uh, uh, a sculpture of buddha with this mm-hmm. it is the vitarka mudra I so see. it is the mudra of teaching okay so but this is common mm-hmm. and then even in tantra you have mudras that you are using mm-hmm. so how many ways are there that you can use your you see the hastas have explored every which way that you can use you can move your hand and fingers okay so i feel that there's this common uh ground from which all these physically movement forms were born mm-hmm. so they imbibe from each other so why should yoga be different to dance so it it seems to me like yoga is an integral part of dance i mean you would the essence, to, the essence the essence hmm. yeah so would are most dancers also yogis well i cannot comment on that but, <laughs> but should be should be so you personally are a yogi huh? see i like mm-hmm. i i practice yoga a lot mm-hmm. and i also go into the theoretical aspect of yoga so i connected so i feel you know like when you have the your chakras mm-hmm. so for instance in in odissi or in most cla- uh, classical i mean i'm using the word so that you understand what i'm saying <clears throat> there's a very limited movement of the hips okay you're more doing the upper body i see and i i keep feeling that when you're meditating you are trying to move the your kundalini up from the mooladhara and the swadhisthana you know the the basic mm. two chakras which uh, which take care of the human you know the needs the mm. basic needs mm. of procreation and your hunger to, mm. for food and as you move up 
you go into a more spiritual realm. Mm. And a lot of times I feel that the movement of the torso in Odyssey may be working on these chakras. I see. <laughs> you know, so physically also there is... And what is, like when you're meditating, you're going into a lot of visualization and the the physical aspects of something which is not tangible. So you're visualizing your chakras. Mm. You know, so in dance, maybe this is the way you are, you know, you are manipulating that energy to rise mm. higher and take you into a spiritual realm. Right, right. So in today's world, if somebody wants to pursue the path of being a professional dancer, classical dancer, how do, how do they go about it? How do they go about it? So these days, I think it's easier because mm -hmm. if you are more in tune with the times, mm -hmm. uh, there's no shortcut to learning and practicing. Mm -hmm. That is should be there. Uh, and then there are ways. You see, teaching is a is a way to to sort of perfect your own art mm -hmm. and also to earn money. So they should, you know, try to teach. Mm -hmm. uh, then I feel there's a lot of opportunity to also educate people. So people are very open for lecture, lecture demonstrations, even small groups of people. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to have like an audience, a hall, an auditorium full, but even like a group of people in somebody's home. You see that you go and, and, and people are very eager to learn, you know, this thing called edutainment. Edutainment. Right? So that you can do. And of course, all these social media platforms also help you get visibility. And uh, but there is also, you know, the, the sort of the rigors of impaneling yourself with the Indian Council of Cultural Relations to be, uh, you know, so you have to do that groundwork. Hmm. I think these days you need to work while you keep that. Um, um, sustain your practice. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of people take jobs in schools, but then it takes away from the practice your mm -hmm. own, you know, your own riyas. Mm -hmm. So you should take part-time work, but not do anything that takes away from that time that you practice, because that is the most important. So you have experienced a lot. Would you? What kind of advice would you give to young people, to let's say kids and teenagers who are starting off in life? Just general, not dance related, but overall advice. I feel that what I say about practice and there being no shortcuts mm -hmm. in getting anything good in life, that also holds for your actual living. Mm -hmm. So there are no shortcuts if you really want to achieve something. So that is my advice. Don't look for shortcuts. <laughs> All right, Shagunji, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. I think we've just scratched the surface. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll end it over here. So thank you so much. It was a truly, truly a pleasure and an honor. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank, thank you. you. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation and gained something of genuine value from it. Subscribe now. Thank you and I'll see you soon.